1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Freedom uh, here on Lions of Liberty. And before we get into today's show, I wanna tell you guys about iTrust Capital. It's the number one crypto IRA platform in the United States. Um, You can self-trade cryptocurrency, physical gold and silver right in your retirement account. Now you get the, the tax advantages of a traditional IRA. You get them while trading crypto and physical gold and silver. Um, As an iTrust client, um, you're going to be able to log into your account and self-trade 24-7. Transactions are executed in real time and settle in seconds. They offer more than 25 crypto assets and they're growing. Um, They have transparent pricing. They have the lowest and most transparent costs in the industry by far. And they post the freeze right up front so you can see them. Itrust is secure. They use Coinbase custody and Curve to secure uh, your assets. Itrust also has over 1,500 overwhelmingly positive reviews on Trustpilot. Now, here's the kicker, guys special offer here. All you got to do is visit itrust.capital slash lions and sign up today, open an account, move money from an existing 401k, whatever you got to do. And you're going to get $100 of Bitcoin when you fund your account. Go to itrust.capital slash lions to sign up today.
0: We are born free and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And guys, I got an awesome show for you guys today. A great guest. I'm going to be talking with Todd McMurtry. Now, Todd is the attorney for Nicholas Sandman of uh, Covington Catholic, of course, who has successfully um, sued and settled with the Washington Post and CNN, and Todd is going to be talking about those lawsuits as well as uh, the parallels and potential defamation lawsuits that Kyle Rittenhouse Um, could be fouling in his future. Now, uh, Todd is not Kyle's lawyer. He was Nicholas and is Nicholas's lawyer. But uh, he's giving a great perspective. And I was very, very happy to be able to bring Todd to you today to bring his expertise. We'll get to the interview in just a minute. just want to remind you guys, um, if you just stumbled across this episode, across this podcast for the first time, uh, please consider checking out and subscribing to the Lines of Liberty podcast. We have three unique shows per week. Every Monday, we kick it off with a show uh, hosted by Mark Clare. It's our flagship program. Mark was the first to start this, uh, this podcast. He has incredible interviews, one of the best interviewers in the business, Mark Clare. On Wednesday, we got Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, Brian brings uh, culture, comedy, liberty. Brian's a hilarious guy. And uh, of course, you got Finding Freedom with me uh, every single Thursday where we are examining the criminal justice system. Um, we're looking at entrepreneurial journeys. We're looking at people who've overcome obstacles and uh, really challenged the system that we live in. So we're doing great things here at Lions Liberty, and we are excited About the future. We got some big announcements coming. Stay tuned for that. And without any more delay, let's get to the show. Okay, we are live, streaming live to the Lions of Liberty Pride. Um, If you're not a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, or if you were a member, you you could see this interview live, um, but probably you're hearing the recording if you're not a member. So I am here with Todd McMurtry. If you're familiar with that name, maybe you've heard it around the Nicholas Sandman uh, defamation case where he won a huge multi-million dollar defamation um, settlement against CNN and the Washington Post. Todd is an attorney down in Kentucky. He's uh, dabbled in politics a little bit. I don't know if we'll get to that. The, the primary uh, uh, point of this discussion is to talk about the, uh, the Sandman case and defamation really as a whole and uh, really what, what elements are, are needed in order to uh, to build an argument and then draw the parallels between um, that and Cal Rittenhouse. Since defamation has been thrown around quite a bit in that case, I figured I would bring in an expert like Todd and uh, to educate us all. So Todd, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, John. Glad to be here.
1: Well, thank you for making the time. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, I think I saw you... A week or two ago, on one of the the cable news shows, um, talking about this case. So, I figured I would I would reach out to you, talking about the Cal Riddenhouse case, I, I should yeah. say. Um, but maybe before we get into that, if you want to give a uh, a quick uh, elevator pitch background about yourself, just to let people know um, who you are and uh, what you do. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. Thanks. Um, I, I live in Kentucky. Uh, I'm an attorney. I've been practicing here. For about 30 years, so it's been a while. Actually, in, kind of in the greater Cincinnati area, so it's a it's a little bit larger metro area than the rest of the state. Um, I I got into this defamation practice uh, about three years ago when I was contacted by the Sandman family to represent their son Nick, and uh, since then have have developed a you know my practice is practically all defamation now. Mm. I still have some you know traditional business type litigation cases that I used to do. But the defamation arena has really been great. Very interesting. It's a challenging area of the law. So it's, it's been fun. And, you know, personally, I've been married for 35 years. I've got three adult kids and two grandkids. And, uh, you know, just trying to make the best of every day. Keep it interesting.
1: Absolutely. So, so did you have a, a specialty in law prior to uh, being contacted by the Salmon family? Had, had, did you have an expertise prior to defamation? Yeah, I I did a
0: lot of uh, business, uh, what they call business tort litigation, kind of, you know, fraud and the inducement to contracts, breach of fiduciary duties among business partners, a lot of what they would call business divorce. Uh, Business divorces can be as ugly as real divorces. You know, you get partners in a business and somebody takes out a little too much money or stops working or leaves town and, you know, people, their pocketbooks start getting strained and they get upset with each other. So I would, you know, pretty skilled at coming in and helping break up those companies and trying to avoid litigation, you know, if possible. And if not, then going into court and litigating the cases. And I've litigated those cases, you know, in front of juries and, and appellate courts and all that. So that was, a, you know, it's a challenging area. I, the thing that it has to, that, that's similar to defamation is that, that it's just, it, it's more interesting than doing slip and fall cases. I mean, those are fine cases to do, but mm-hmm. as you practice for a long time, you're like, you want a new challenge. So it's a uh, interesting, complex area that presented some new challenges for me professionally, yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, and just to, uh, before we get into talking about the uh, Nicholas Sandman defamation case, just to give people a, a review of that, a primer, I'm sure people remember, but of course, Nicholas um, was uh, the Covenant High School student who, uh, was plastered across, you know, the the liberal news headlines, the corporate news headlines, wearing his make, Ameri- make America great hat. Um, there was that, that video that that showed the what looked like um, look it looked like him, and when they didn't show the full clip of him instigating um, something with uh, this Native American activist uh, Nathan Phillips, um, when in reality, when they showed the whole thing. Um, there was another group there, I believe, called the Hebrew Israelites, that were really instigating with some, some vulgar language. And when you saw the whole thing happening, it was really um, this activist Nathan Phillips, who was uh, who was one, an, another instigator here of this confrontation. Um, right. And of course, the headlines painted Nicholas as a uh, you know this evil Trump white supremacist entitled kid. So this is all happening in the headlines. Um, you get contacted by his family. How how, how did that play out, and uh, what elements did you see in the coverage with the Washington Post and CNN and uh, whomever else that made you believe this would have a, a strong foundation for a defamation argument?
0: Yeah. So it was um, it was very interesting here in this community. The the. The Northern Kentucky community, where Covington Catholic is one of the leading high schools, is probably about four hundred thousand people. And I'm telling you what, you could feel it everywhere you went. I mean, this place was on fire. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was outraged. It felt like you know the whole country was attacking the entire community. Uh, so it was a it was a you know a hotbed of of uh, dissent uh, from the media around here, you know, because we were watching the media attack this young man and his family. And, you know, uh, they had to, you know, flee their home. There were death threats, bomb threats, all kinds of insanity going on, uh, at that time. And, it, you know, I was called in very early. Uh, I, I tell a, f- a funny story. I was, uh, you know, headed to the gym with my wife on the Sunday morning after this event. And, um, uh, you know, all this was happening. I said, you know, I bet I get a call on this. I was just kind of thinking, hopefully, that I would. And I did, you know, literally an hour later, mm-hmm. I get a call. Uh, but, uh, y- you know, what made this case compelling from the beginning is just, you know, the, the fact that the media based its reporting off of this uh, uh, short one minute edited viral video and they went all in, you know, uh, the, the the, you know the racist, the anti Native American, you know disrespecting a Native American elder. You know the whole narrative, agenda-driven narrative of kind of the woke corporatist media was mm-hmm. was in you know on full display, and they were just going completely nuts. And um, you know, so you could see right away that the truth. And the reality were or that the, the truth and the and the agenda driven narrative were, were completely opposite and that and that the agenda driven narrative was running this kid down and attacking him with false facts and false statements. So it was obvious from the beginning that there was a very good defamation case here. You know, this is probably the the best, you know, defamation case in history because Nicholas Sandman is, was a minor who had done nothing wrong, never done anything. I mean, when he went to the, to the mall in DC for the March for life with mm-hmm. the school, that was the first time he had ever actually left home uh, without his family, you know, other than wow. going on vacation. So literally he's there, you know, on his first trip out of town and mm-hmm. this happened. So, you know, great kid, um, great family, uh, terrible situation, but it was clear from the beginning that the media was making huge mistakes.
1: So I mean from from my perspective and probably most people's perspectives the media you see the media lying and stretching the truth almost all the time. I mean almost every headline you see there there's an element of uh propaganda or manipulation uh w- what things are needed in order to take it from you know m- I don't know maybe misreporting or it could be you know, it could be just, uh, well, I, guess, I guess they got that one wrong, to, you know, intentional, intentionally defaming someone. Um, or I guess, does defamation have to be intentional?
0: Well, you know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be intentional, uh, especially when you deal with a private person, you know, private figure. Uh, if, if somebody criticized you or me uh, about this broadcast, we're, we're basically functioning as public figures by going on this broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. So. You know, you could say a lot of bad stuff about us and get away with it. Um, say it's my opinion or whatever. You know, so and so is a racist or white supremacist or whatever crazy stuff they want to say and get away with it. But when you deal with a, a, a person who's just like your neighbor who doesn't, you know, put himself out there in the public public sphere, uh, you know, you can't you can't do that because they can hold you liable if they just prove that you were negligent. For a public figure to to hold a media company liable, they have to prove that they acted with actual malice. So they'd have to show that basically they knew what they were reporting was false. Whereas in Nicholas Sandman circumstance, you only have to show that what they were, were reporting was negligent. So I think you kind of asked, how, how do you get a handle on that? Hmm. Uh, the, uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, you know, who's kind of the functioning conservative chief justice on our U.S. Supreme Court, has said, that he thinks that we need to revisit the, the actual malice standard established back in the 60s in the case New York Times v. Sullivan and, and tone that down a little bit and maybe take it back to where we were before, where you didn't have to prove actual malice. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a case that came before the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court adjusted the, the field a little bit. Like if you go to England or Great Britain, um, I mean, if they publish anything wrong, they're almost immediately liable and they have a press. They report things every day. You know, you don't need to have this crazy actual malice protection to have a free and functioning media. They don't have this at all in Great Britain, and their media functions perfectly fine. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, we need to get away from the actual malice standard uh, and, and change it back, probably to the way it was before the New York Times v. Sullivan case.
1: So when people see, you know, when they see a settlement like this. And I know you probably can't talk about the amount of money that's that's been received um, that Nicholas has received in these settlements, but it's it's a lot of money. Um, how, when the original suit was filed, I think it was two hundred fifty million, was the one against the Washington Post. Um, what what goes into determining those types of damages? Uh, you know, someone could look at a, an incident like this and say yes. You know, this is, um, you know, th- there were lies about Nicholas. This could damage his future, um, his future job prospects, his future career, his future business dealings. Um, how do you get to, how do you figure that number out?
0: Um, well, as an attorney, you, you know, you, there's a couple of different areas of, of damages that you can pursue. You know, there's like economic damages. So in other words, if you're, if you're Nicholas Sandman, you're never going to work for a bank, Right. Nobody's ever going to hire him because half the customers are going to be kind of more on the woke spectrum. And they're going to say, I don't want to deal mm-hmm. with that person. That, you know, big law firm's not going to hire him. Uh, any publicly traded company's not going to hire him. He's just going to have a hard time getting a job. You know, and if you look at the expected earnings of somebody when they're 18 years old and just starting off in college, you know, and, and you know, had otherwise very good prospects, you know, that's, that's millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then there's additionally, so those are just like economic damages. And then you add on to that the emotional distress involved in living through something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, so let's say you just, I'm, I'm just making numbers up here, but let's say you got $10 million in future lost wages. Uh, a, a lawyer could say, well, I want $100 million on top of that in pain and suffering. So you, you jack those numbers up, not that they're necessarily, that's not necessarily what a jury's going to award, they could. Um, and then you add on to that what they call reputational harm. And that is the fact that outside of work, you know, you go to work and, and you, know, you don't get hired or you've got to run your own business. You know, your job prospects are different than they would have been otherwise. But, you know, think about you're your 25 years old. Uh, you meet the girl of your dreams. She's great. And then you find out that her parents think that you are, you know, uh, just this terrible person and they, they, they still know who Nicholas Sandman was. And then you've mm-hmm. got to deal with that your whole life. And there's already many documented circumstances where he's faced, you know, cancellation efforts and things like that. So to spend every day, you know, even in your personal relationships, uh, I could see a jury saying $250 million. Uh, and, you know, we intend to ask a jury at some point on some of these cases, we still have six of these cases going. So we will be asking somebody for a big number, uh, not that they'll all go to trial. Probably some of them will settle eventually, but uh, somebody's going to trial, or a group of people are going to trial, and so the jury of uh, uh, Kentuckians will have their opportunity to say what they think. And they may just say, "We really think this is terrible. We're going to award a big number." So that's how you get to a number like that.
1: Hey, we're going to take a quick break in the show here today, and you know, we're talking about privacy. We're talking about building, uh, you know, building mobile income. And uh, you've heard us talk about on the show before the Nomad Network, um, host of or uh, creator of the Nomad Network and host of Wealth, Power, and Influence, Jason Stapleton, is holding an event that really aligns really well with this message coming up on December 11th. The event is called Discover 2022. And, you know, this is right in the wheelhouse for people who are looking to really unlock their potential, to look for different ways to recession proof their income. Jason's going to be talking about a bunch of different side hustles that can be started up really quickly. You can discover who needs you most and what they will pay for it. This is a free event. It's going to help you get some clarity and vision around uh, what you need to do really in your life. So, Jason is an expert in this field, as you know, and uh, you can attend this event for free. Uh, You can do that by going to www.stapletonagency.com slash discover hyphen lions. So that link, if you don't have a pen to write that down, you can just go to the show notes page for this show. I'll have it there and, uh, you can click on it, attend the event and, uh, unlock your potential guys. Let's do it. Kind of transitioning. I think it's a good point to kind of transition to this Kyle Rittenhouse case. Um, obviously different in, in a lot of ways, but also similar in a lot of ways, especially the element of um, both captured on video of course of course Kyles was uh you know he was and, and Kyle's been to been to trial and has been vindicated um, in uh for uh for defending himself for self defense um, but in the same way um, Kyle has been painted as a white supremacist. Um, he's, he's been painted as you know being uh, anti-Black Lives Matter because he was at that um, protest or riot, however you want to categorize it, um, defending, defending private property there. So when you look at these two cases, um, what similarities or are there any similarities between the two from a media coverage and defamation aspect?
0: Yeah, there's. I think there's two big similarities, and there's probably some some smaller ones that we could tease out of this. You know, if we talked about it for a little while, but the, the big one, are both that these these people were minors at the time that this happened, and so they, you know, Nicholas was 16, Kyle was 17, I believe, and so the media voluntarily went in with this, you know, uh, full on attack on on people under the age of 18 and attacked them pretty viciously. Um, and, and, you know, really, if you, if anybody had looked at the facts on both circumstances, uh, and paid careful attention, they, they might've, you know, they really wouldn't have had a basis to make the accusations that they made. I mean, there was nothing necessarily about what Kyle Rittenhouse did that would, that would suggest that he was engaged with, and, and, you know, with some kind of racist agenda. There just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't there. And the same with, with Nick Sandman, I mean, um, you know, he went to the White House gift shop and bought a MAGA hat, and happened to be wearing that uh, when he was confronted by a you know professional protester, Nathan Phillips, and they blew that up totally out of proportion. And the truth was immediately available on YouTube. I saw the the true statement of facts uh, Saturday evening uh, before these major publications had really run their big stories, and so it was out there. And we have evidence, for example, that the full video from the black Hebrew Israelites that showed everything that happened was available mm-hmm. before the media reported and easily found on YouTube. Um, so, you know, in both circumstances, they, the kids were underage, similarity, number one, similarity, number two, they were uh, attacked despite the fact that there were, you know, video evidence that would show otherwise uh, to them. Um, you know, I think the third thing would be that there's, as with the, the media and I, None of your listeners or viewers have to. They all know that all the media wants to say is everybody's, a, you know, a white supremacist and a racist. It's just a, you know, it's it's whatever the the reason is. It's mm-hmm. it's a clearly obvious agenda to anybody that's thinking about it at all. Um, so they just want to promote their agenda. And I, I think that the other thing that I've said on on a lot of interviews, you know, on these similarities is, I, I really think that the you know when you know that these, these people are smart enough to figure out that what they're saying is not true because it's obvious, right? They know that it's not true yet. They say it anyway, you know, and and that happened with both circumstances. The only conclusion I'm left with as to why they would do that is that they want to do it. They want to go out and especially they want to destroy younger people because what happens when you destroy somebody's child is a, that kid's destroyed. B, All every other kid in America that that comes anywhere close to this is like, wow, what just happened? And then they're scared. And then the parents are horrified and and the families are horrified. So everybody thinks about protecting their children. And what that does is it it creates a, a it censors. People are self censoring everywhere they go. You know, son. Daughter, don't let that happen to you. Grandson, granddaughter, don't let that happen to you. Be careful. Never say anything about this. Keep your mouth shut. You know, don't don't take up any opinions that anybody can cancel you on, or else it'll you know disrupt your whole future. So it creates a a climate of intense fear, and so I think that young people are are you know a very useful tool uh, for the you know woke corporatist media to to attack with. Our, to attack, and, and it creates a climate of fear, and, and then it cl- creates a climate of self censorship.
1: And there could be blowback to that, which, which of course we've seen with uh, with this defamation settlement, and, and right. more to come, and maybe more coming with uh, with Kyle Rittenhouse. So, how how much do you think that can can factor into uh, you know holding the media accountable? And actually having this having them, you know, and I think you're right. I I think they're I think it's intentional what they're doing, um, setting this narrative and uh, staking ground, um, trying to, uh, you know, use these young individuals to influence the conversation and and to scare people. Mm -hmm. So how much do you think you can use um, defamation lawsuits in order to really protect free speech?
0: It's, it's all it's all you really have as a tool. So it's the most effective tool with regard to the, you know, attacking young people and private figures and accusing them of being white supremacist or engaging in racist misconduct. I, I think it can have an effect and it, and it may very well over time. Um, you know, for example, in my cases, if we were able to achieve a, you know, a substantial verdict, it might get people to say, well, let's just sit this one out or let's be extra careful in this circumstance. But it really depends upon the desire of the of the media to, to pursue the agenda and the narrative of white supremacism and racism and, and, you know, all that goes along with those things. So if they really want to pursue those agendas, then, you know, they may do it anyway, because all these, all these entities are billion dollar multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies that, you know, they could get tagged for a hundred million dollar judgment and it wouldn't just be that much of a, would it be a 10th of a percent on their annual profits? And, um, you know, maybe it's more important to them to, to report falsehoods to support the narratives that they pursue uh, than it is to, to pay large judgments. But certainly over time, judgments and lawsuits do serve their purpose. They have in many circumstances where they've, you know, uh, disciplined uh, rogue entities, whatever it may be, different areas of the law over, year, over the years. Litigation has been very helpful.
1: Okay, so we've talked about the, the media coverage um and pushing back against that and settlements against them what about an individual someone like uh say say Joe Biden per se who back on in September of last year he sent out a tweet that said um there's no other way to put it the president of the united states refused to disavow white supremacists on the debate stage last night then right below that tweet was a video and in that video had a, uh, you know, it had Cal Ridenhouse holding his, uh, holding his gun, um, walking the, uh, the streets of Kenosha. So is there a defamation suit? And this is before Joe Biden was elected president. I guess that's important to point out. Is there a suit against someone like Joe Biden for defamation?
0: Yeah. And I, I hope this kind of academic answer isn't too long, but I, I if you stick with me, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah, sure. So if Joe Biden were in, in office when he made that statement, He's probably immune, right? He's probably, you know, has a privilege to speak on matters of public concern and public interest. And uh, I know that there are, there are plenty of cases out there where politicians have said terrible things and courts have said, we can't hold you liable. You're in office. You know, you're, you have a privilege to speak this way on these topics. In this circumstance, Joe Biden was a private citizen running for president, so he was not in office. So he doesn't have that privilege. And he used that tweet on uh, September 30, 2020, just before the election, he used that tweet to um, basically as a campaign tool. Right. It's like mm-hmm. an advertisement. And uh, when you accuse, uh, you know, so if you advertise something and it's defamatory and one of your commercials says so and so, this or that, you know, nobody's going to suggest that you have immunity for a campaign advertisement. Um, and so that's, in essence, what this was. So he's not elected. He's basically running an ad and he's using Kyle Rittenhouse uh, uh, as a tool to get votes. And what he's doing is he's basically accusing Kyle Rittenhouse of being a white supremacist. And when they show him with the rifle, uh, saying that he's engaged in racist misconduct. So the law in the United States is pretty clear that if you call somebody a racist, it's not necessarily actionable unless it's somehow tied to the fact that you were doing something about it. So you could say, you know, my neighbor, Bob is such a jerk. He's the worst racist I know. Okay. That's probably not a lawsuit, but if you say my, my neighbor, Bob uh, is a racist, he's the worst person I know. Can you believe that he fired two people from his company because they were whatever, you know, skin color or orientation or whatever it may be, or skin color it would be, it'd have to be racial. So that would be racist misconduct and that's actionable. And And in this circumstance with Joe Biden, being in office, it's racist misconduct. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Donald Trump, when he was president, was sued for defamation by a woman who was a contestant on, um, uh, I'm forgetting the, the show that he was the, the judge on. Uh, but when, when he, you know, she, she sued, or she said that he sexually uh, assaulted her, he said she's a liar, she sued him for saying, he's a, for his statement that she's a liar. And the courts allowed that suit to proceed even though he was in office as president, because they said, you know, you, you cannot protect a, a person for uh, 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 for their acts, uh, you know, that are personal in nature. So it was like a personal tort. Now, he was also not in office when that occurred. So it's very similar to the Joe Biden situation. Mm. And, and if you look back to the 90s, there's a case uh, where Paula Jones, if you recall her, uh, was, uh, sued, uh, then president Clinton for a number of things, but including defamation for statements he made about her saying that she was a liar. And, uh, those claims were allowed to proceed. And, and the, you know, the Supreme court said, you know, you can sue a sitting president for his private conduct, you know, with some phrase like no person is above the law. So I'm, I'm certain that, that, if somebody, if, if Kyle Rittenhouse wanted to sue the president, he he may not for a variety of reasons. But if he wanted to, he, he I think he has a viable lawsuit. Now judges get to make that decision about whether something is is defamatory. So it, a case like that could be lost early on by a judge who just you know said I'm not going to go there. Uh, but I do think that under the state of the law today, it is actionable.
1: What well, what's your gut feeling? Do, do you think do you think it'll happen? Do you think uh, Kyle Rittenhouse will sue the president?
0: It would be pure speculation. I've never yeah. met Kyle or spoken with him. I, I don't know him. I, I feel a little bit bad even talking about his cases, but, you know, there is some validity in, in mm-hmm. understanding all this. Um, you know, if I were advising him, I'd say, yeah, we got to pull the trigger on this. Uh, I, I think it's it's despicable. Uh, I, I, you know, we just have to stop using children. Uh, you know, as as uh, as throwaway objects, you know, people that we can destroy and not even worry about. I think children just deserve some some anonymity at least, or or you know, they deserve to be left alone. They should never have used him for a campaign ad, and and it's just just highly unethical, in my view, to have done that.
1: Yeah, um, and I, I don't know if this would be a defense for Joe Biden because it is it is his Twitter account, but. If he's not running his Twitter account and it's his team sending it out, is, is that, could he use that in order to, to wiggle out of a, of a lawsuit? Uh,
0: yeah, that's a good one because I actually thought about that. I, I swear I was like walking around and I thought about that. And I said, you know, it's his <laughs> campaign account. And I was thinking about me deposing the president of the United States and saying, you know, Mr. President, is that your smiling face on that Twitter account? I, I don't think he could get away with it. I, I think yeah. it was issued in his name. And uh, you could certainly sue his campaign for it as well. Uh, so even if they let him go, the campaign would be on the hook. But you you raise a good point. Judges have a lot of discretion in how they deal with these things. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, it would there's a lot of factors, hard to predict exactly how it would play out.
1: Well, Todd, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anything? You know, I'm I'm a novice at this. Talk, asking about defamation. Is there anything very important that I missed? that I didn't ask you about that you that you think is an important point to make.
0: No, I, I just, you know, I guess the, the most important thing I could I could leave your viewers and, and listeners with is, is the idea that, that that you know they need to be alert to this. If something happens in their community, uh, you know where where they're attacked or there's an attempted cancellation, things like that, where people try to censor their freedom of speech, they need to just know that they may have a remedy you know, to fight back against censorship and cancellation, um, you know, I've represented some people that have been pretty aggressively canceled. And, you know, we've found some creative ways to try to make people pay for that. And I, I think in general that we need to push back against cancellation, push back against people getting fired for expressing religious conviction, push back against people being, being you know, uh, fired for, for, you know, making the wrong political statement. Um, you know, the people need to be respectful of their employers, but at the same time, you just can't, you know, uh, fire people, cancel people, throw people out, you know, for things that five years ago, nobody would have even thought, thought much of. So society's changed and we need to be alert to that and recognize that there may be a remedy out there.
1: Right. I mean, today people are getting fired for, you know, not putting a, uh, a certain pharmaceutical in in their arm um, and not (laughs) able to, uh, work for right. their employer anymore. So I these, know. these are certainly crazy times. For sure. But Todd, just want to give you a uh, time to, uh, to plug anything, websites, social media, anything else um, that you got going on that you, uh, that you want to let people know about.
0: Yeah, I've got a website. It's uh, Todd McMurtry law.com. And just my name with law.com on it. And I put stuff out, you know, a newsletter and so forth. If anybody wants to follow that and I'm on Twitter at, at, Todd underscore McMurtry. And I'm, I'm uh, also on parlor on at Todd McMurtry. So I I post stuff there and uh, you know, I think some of it's pretty interesting. So if anybody's interested, they can sign up for the newsletter, or just follow me there.
1: All right, Todd, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks,
0: John. Appreciate it. Take care.
1: Hope you guys enjoyed another great interview. Another great conversation here on finding freedom. Today's episode brought to you by uh, the good people. Nate and Charlie at Good Morning Liberty and their five-day-per-week show where they dive into current events and uh, give you a, uh, a sane take, a nice filter on the, on the news and political landscape uh, to help you to navigate uh, these turbulent times. Of course, you can subscribe to Good Morning Liberty wherever you get your podcasts. So do that today. And also brought to you by Tyler Colford, also known as Crypto Man. Uh, Tyler is a rapper. And uh, of course, you've probably heard his songs here on this show. Tyler's been a longtime supporter of us here at Lions of Liberty. And I want to uh, encourage you all to go and find his work on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, under Crypto Man, youtube as well check him out listen to his music share his music and thank you tyler for the support guys if you like what you're hearing here at lines of liberty if you like these shows and uh you don't want to miss them i mean like i know like when i get into a podcast there's only there's a few podcasts that i i don't miss an episode but there's a lot more podcasts where i subscribe and i listen to most episodes so With the Lions of Liberty, like a lot of podcasts, but especially Lions of Liberty, because of the nature of our shows, our variety show format, and we're always bringing on different guests, uh, different interesting characters, you want to subscribe because you don't want to miss a show. You might miss an episode with someone that you really wanted to hear, and because you're not checking the feed, it's not coming to your phone, um, you're going to miss it when it's dropped, you're going to miss out being in on that initial conversation, uh, maybe happening in the Lions of Liberty Forum, which you can find on Facebook, or maybe happening in our uh, Lions Pride, our private Facebook group, or maybe over on um, Locals, which you can join, uh, become a patron there, uh, lionsofliberty.locals.com. Or if you're a, a patron fan, uh, you can go to slash uh, Lions of Liberty and join up there. You know, we have a bunch of different levels you can join at, get access to the show. You can sponsor shows. You can even produce shows at a certain level. Of course, all the merchandise, all that stuff, you get that at certain levels too. Or if you just want to buy our t-shirts, we got some great designs. Check them out. LionsofLiberty.store. Guys, it's been a great show. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I will see you all next week. In the meantime, remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.